0: Well, our scripture can be found on the inside of the bulletin. This is Luke four thirty-one through 37. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke. And uh, this is uh, an encounter that Jesus has uh, in the synagogue. Hear the word of the Lord. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. The word of the Lord. Well, I need to confess to you, I've been struggling with uh, some self-esteem issues. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's we're an honest congregation here we're dealing. And so, I've realized that I need to make some changes just to sort of get myself psyched up for this sermon. So I've done a couple of things. The first is I've given myself an award which is really nice, Uh, you know, so now I'm feeling more confident because I've been given an award, an honorary doctorate. It is not, but nonetheless. And I've realized that I need to change my title to sort of bolster my position, my authority, if you will, so you'll listen to what it is that I'm going to say. And so I've examined the other ecclesiastical titles that are out there Uh, we don't have a whole lot of choices in our Presbyterian denomination so here's some ideas of what you might want to call me uh, during and after the service surely you do call me by a host of different names particularly in the privacy of your house but nonetheless uh, I think we may need to shift to the right reverend Carlos Rodriguez the right reverend uh, this is a name of a bishop if you're in the Anglican Church the right reverend and apparently he's always right So, what's, if the shoe fits, you got to wear it, right? What if we went from the right reverend to the most reverend? Huh? What about the most right reverend? Can you be most right? I don't know. That's an archbishop in the Anglican Church. I kind of like this one, the metropolitan. Hello, Metropolitan Carlos. It's good to see you. A metropolitan is a archbishop over archbishops. So he's a big kahuna. Um, how about this one, Monsignor. Huh? Monsignor Most High Reverend Carlos. can into the ordinary. We're really getting it. Monsignor is an honorary title given by the Pope who is also called the Protonator Apostolic. Now we're talking. <laughs> now we are talking, huh? Mr. Protonator. You know, in our denomination... Uh, who is the head of our church is Jesus Christ Uh, our chain of command is very simple Uh, we have elders who the church is accountable to we're inner accountable to one another as churches under the Word of God and our leader is Jesus Christ well we all deal with authority in the world don't we you wake up and go to your job and uh, lo and behold you have a boss he or she tells you what to do and you kind of have to deal with it because they're in charge you may have a good boss you may have a bad boss they have the title but they may not necessarily have the uh, what would be the word the qualifications or the skills or abilities that are commensurate with that title but nonetheless they have been given the authority by reference of their title this whole passage that we're looking at is about the question of authority who has the authority on earth There is a spiritual showdown, if you will, between Jesus Christ who is speaking with authority and a man possessed with a demon who challenges his authority. We have to make decisions, much like this congregation who are astonished as they see this showdown. God is the only one whose authority and title are synonymous or congruous with one another. It's not something that he has simply been bestowed. The title, Son of God, Jesus Christ, is given to him because it is who he is. But even though someone is an authority, you don't necessarily have to recognize him as such. And so this passage is a call to question as to who is this person. Now the truth of the matter is we all submit to authority. Everybody has an authority that they will submit to. We were designed to be submitting creatures. But if you submit to Christ's authority, you need fear no other authority. Because He is the authority above all authorities. Jesus challenges us to do three things in this passage. Number one, to recognize the authority of His Word. It's His Word that has authority. Number two, recognize the authority of His name. The name that is above all names, the Holy One of God. And finally, to recognize the authority of His rule His word, His name, and His rule. Because if you submit to God's authority, you need fear no other authority. Well, let's look at the first point to recognize the authority of His word. We see in verse 31 it says And Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and He was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. His word is authoritative. Why is his word authoritative? I think it's several reasons that his word is authoritative. The first is God's word has power. We clearly see as we look through the scriptures that God speaks and things come to pass. 2 Peter 3.5 says that they forget that long ago by God's Word the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water. God spoke and it came to pass. God creates by His Word, but He also sustains by His Word. Hebrews 1.3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. It's His Word that sustains the environment and the atmosphere indeed the very systems of your body God commands the universe like a king commands an army a king speaks and the army acts God speaks and the universe complies remember Jesus in the water waking up speaking to the wind and the waves hush be still and nature complies. God's word has power. But God's word is more than power, it is truth. Jesus comes and says that I've come to testify to the truth and sanctify them, God, by the truth. Your word is truth. God speaks and truth is revealed. We all know when there are things that are true and things that are false, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. But when you know that which is true, it resonates with you. If I jump off the top of a building, I'm going to fall. It's true. I can deny that. Truth can be denied, but it can't be avoided. God's Word is truth. It's power. And God's Word is revelation. God's Word reveals, first of all, who God is. As God spoke to the universe, God speaks to man. He speaks to Adam and Eve. He speaks to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, revealing himself. And he speaks to Moses and the Israelites. As Moses says, what is your name? And he says, my name is Yahweh. I am that I am. He tells us his name, his final name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he tells us his nature in his word. Jeremiah 9.24 puts it this way, Let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. God is revealing to us his nature, that he loves kindness, and justice, and righteousness. He reveals who he is, and he also reveals how we shall live. Remember, Jesus, uh, God speaks to Moses. He gives him his name. And he says, Go and bring my people back to this mountain to worship. And through this miraculous series of things that happen, they come back. And God speaks to them in Exodus 20. And he spoke all of these words I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and so on and so on. This is how you are to live. Indeed, he not only speaks, but he writes the commandments with the finger of God on the stone. In the book of Deuteronomy, before they're ready to enter into the promised land, not too far from what we read in the book of Joshua, God says through Moses and now Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live. You shall not add the word to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commands of the Lord that I command you. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the people, who when they hear these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statues and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? God has said how to live. He's revealed to us how we are to live and worship. All of the codes of laws, you know, our code of law is founded on the scriptures quite clearly. We have freedom of religion in this country but our founding fathers wisely realized That this was the greatest law for the governing of mankind. His word reveals how we are to live. And so God's word reveals. And the people as they hear it are astonished. As Jesus is speaking they say he speaks with authority. Now when people would come and they would interpret. The rabbis would get up and they would interpret God's word. They would use other rabbis. They would give reference points to those before. To uh, decipher and describe the word. Jesus uses no one. He interprets directly. He speaks directly from other passages, which he authors. He speaks firsthand. It's like Jesus is speaking as if this is his word. Remember, Jesus says all of these scriptures, you study them because you think that you have eternal life through them. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Whenever we speak about God, there's always three people. For instance, right now, I'm speaking to you God's Word. You're listening to it. I may even be speaking God's Word in the first person. But I'm speaking it from God who spoke His Word. What we're seeing here is only two parties. It's God who is speaking. And the people who are listening, and they are astonished. God, Jesus is speaking, and His voice reverberates. The reason they're astonished is because the one who spoke His word and they were created and came into existence is speaking to them again. It's a primordial word. It's a primal word in the core of their being, in the, in the basis of their DNA. Jesus says in John 10, I am the shepherd. The watchman opens the gate for the sheep, and the sheep listen to my voice. The shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought all of his own, he goes out ahead of them, and his sheep will follow him because they know his voice. There's an imprinting as people hear the voice of their creator. His word elicits a response as God's voice elicits a response in nature, God's voice issues, elicits a response in humanity. What is this word, the crowd says, for with authority and power He commands. Jesus gives the word like a command. And as we all know, a command requires a response. He gives this command for salvation. I tell you the truth Jesus said whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. And this word strangely enough also leads to damnation. It's interesting that the Bible the words of Jesus Christ are some of the most hated in the world. Isn't it? These words that speak about loving your enemy laying down your life God so loved the world. Some people hear them and literally close their ears. Jesus speaks this beautiful passage in Isaiah just a couple chapters ago. They yell, close their ears and go to throw Him over a cliff. God's voice is speaking and it's either to be received or to be rejected because it elicits a response. It is authority itself. I remember when our kids were younger, many parents have dealt with this when you can't get your child to stop crying. So you've got a couple of options. We sometimes chose the dryer option. You with me on the dryer option? You set that thing to permapress or whatever, and you put the uh, the cradle or the uh, thing on the dryer. And the dryer's worrying around and around, and the reason it settles the child is it's similar to a heartbeat beating again and again. See, they've been in the womb and been close to the sound of the heartbeat and they understand it represents safety. And so when they hear the heartbeat, they are hearing at the core of their being their mother. I remember still to this day, there's a voice when I hear it, I know it instantly. Instantly. And it's the voice of my father. Remember as a kid, you know, you'd be at the soccer game and there'd be a thousand people there. And from way away you'd hear him say something, a word or a whistle, and instantly I would know. How would I know that? It's the voice of my father, built into me, my creator in a sense, eliciting a response reverberating with my heart. And so, we must recognize the authority of God's word. God's word is authority. So is it to you? You know, we all have a word we listen to. A heartbeat. That when it speaks, we listen and obey. It's a command to be obeyed. Maybe you hear the voice, the word of materialism as it goes out reverberating throughout this world. This world is all there is. You are in the center of the world. Worship me, says the world, and all this will be yours. And you hear it and it's strangely attractive. A siren song and so you follow it. But a false word only brings a cacophony of noise in your ears while the true word brings peace and so you must make God's word your authority Christian you must learn to drown out those other sounds my son has a pair of Dr. Dre headphones noise cancelling you switch on a button and it takes away all the other frequencies except for the true sound We must make God's Word our authority. We must drown out the other voices and we must listen intently. For God's Word is speaking to you in all situations. When you're at your job, when you're on a date, everything that you're dealing with, God's Word through His Holy Spirit is guiding you. Recognize the authority of His Word and obey it without question Jesus said to the Jews who believed in Jesus said if you hold to my teaching you're really my disciples then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free so as you recognize God's authority in his word and submit to it you need fear no other word this brings me to my second point to recognize the authority of his name we see here in the passage in Luke 4:33, uh, and in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon and he cried out with this loud voice. It's interesting this man is here in fact he's in a religious ceremony. Could have been one of you. Might be one of you. He's in a good place. Doesn't seem like anybody really recognizes him. He's just minding his business and God speaks and he has no choice but to respond. This word ha in the Greek, it's like an involuntary response when you just have to say something. It says it's the spirit of an unclean demon. He has it, the scriptures say. Somehow it possesses him, it's got a hold on him. And it hates Jesus and it hates the truth that it's speaking. So God's word elicits astonishment in the people but anger in the demon. It's interesting whenever Jesus would speak and go around and there was a demon it would happen that they would instantly start speaking and convulsing. Mark 3 says this whenever the evil spirit saw him they fell down before him and cried out you are the son of God. God's word and recognition go together. The demons Satan has no problem recognizing the authority of God's Word or of God's person. Now some of you may say to me, I don't know about this whole thing. I get the ethical teaching part. I get God, but really? Demons? Spirits? Aren't we going a little bit over the top here? But the reality is that people have long acknowledged that there's a spiritual reality in the world. Recent Gallup poll, 9 out of 10 people believe in God. 7 out of 10 people believe in Satan. He's doing a little bit of a better job there in terms of hiding himself. But most people, according to Gallup, believe in absolute good and evil. 80% of people surveyed said the following statement applies to them completely or to a considerable extent. I believe that there are clear guidelines about what is good and evil that apply to everyone regardless of his or her situation. It's one thing to acknowledge what's true. We don't necessarily obey it. But we understand there is a spiritual reality. It's very interesting you know a lot of people when I go to uh, I'm in a social setting I try as long as possible to not tell tell people I'm a pastor because right away people start acting different when they discover I'm a pastor you know oh my gosh I cussed <laughs> what you know be yourself you sinner <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> me too you know but when it, there's a time when people really want me and it's in the hospital and it's when somebody dies because all of a sudden this material world becomes less and less important and the questions of the spiritual reality of where have they gone what hope do I have those come to the forefront it is very true that there are no atheists in foxholes well okay Carlos there's a spiritual reality sure the Bible speaks about it constantly but good and evil most people believe in good, but I don't know that I can believe in evil. I say to them, you cannot believe in good without believing in evil. It's like a, a, a self-effacing argument. It's a, it's a one-ended stick. What do I mean? If you take a stick and on one end there's good, this is good, then there's absolute good, then there is a scale and guess what is on the other side of it? Evil. There are two sides to a stick. There is good and there is evil. And the Bible is all about the interaction between good and evil, particularly in the spiritual world. And the reason there is this reaction to the name of Jesus is because certain things react when they come into connection with one another. I'm no chemist, but when you put certain molecules together, something's going to happen. Somebody's going to win. The two cannot stay together. One's positive and one is negative. One must win. And so we expect if God comes into the world, if God confronts evil, that there will be a reaction. That there will be Satan and demons. If Jesus is the light of the world, then we will expect that there will be darkness that will react violently when the light comes. And so there is this reaction from this demon And this demon says, have you come to destroy us? I know that you are the Holy One of God. It's interesting, the Spirit says, I know who you are. How does he know? Remember, he's dealing, he's on the other side. He's in the spiritual world. Everybody knows who Jesus is. All of the demons are fallen angels. Who are rebelling against God. They know who he is. The biggest problem with humanity, why we don't recognize the spiritual world, is we don't know who we are. And so we are going left and right as we hear these voices. We're not sure. We're tossed by the wind. But this demon, he knows exactly who he is. You are the Holy One of God. It's a definitive term, by the way. It's a singular one. It's only used... In one, uh, three different places in the Bible. We know the Holy Spirit of God. We know the holy angels of God. But this is the Holy One of God. There's only one Holy One. We know who you are. You're the Son of God. You are God incarnate. You are the Holy One of God. It's His name, it's His title. It's who He is. When God speaks, His name is revealed. It can't be any other way. The unclean spirits identify correctly. While everyone else is astonished. Now they identify, but do they worship? No, they don't. Throughout the Bible you see that the name of Jesus Christ demands a response John 20:31 But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. Peter says repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Therefore God has exalted him above every place and given him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee shall bow in earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. His name is recognized and ultimately will be worshiped either in fear or in anger. I don't know if you ever see the show Undercover Boss. Anybody ever watched that show? I haven't watched it often. Concept's pretty simple, you know, you get the boss of Kodak or, you know, some crazy big company. And he goes to work with the rank and file. You know, and he's just an ordinary Joe Schmo, or so everybody thinks. And so he's just sort of hanging out there and, you know, sometimes the the manager's treating him poorly. And he's getting the worst jobs and he's just kind of veiling who he is, his identity. And there's always a scene kind of at the end where he reveals himself. And sometimes people shrink back in horror as they realize how they have been treating the president of Kodak. They're always astonished. But they cannot refuse to recognize the truth. Jesus does not veil his authority when he speaks because he speaks as the one, as the Holy One of God. It makes perfect sense that when you hear his word, he would associate it with his name and so what does the name of Jesus Christ mean to you he's a friend and that he most certainly is he's kind and he's caring and he's compassionate. he's my companion these things are all true but he is the king the Holy One of God The one who speaks and the mountains melt. The one who at his very name, demons fall to the ground. And so we must recognize him for who he is, the authority of his name. We must come into his presence with awe and wonder. We must ascribe to him the glory due his name. And so when you think of him, Think of Him as His name deserves. When you pray to Him, pray to Him as friend and all of the great things that He is, but pray to Him as the Holy One of God, Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. And when you speak of Him, speak of Him to others by His true name, ascribing the glory that is to Him because when you recognize his name the authority of his name the names of everything else pale in comparison and you need not fear them for he is the name that is above every other name this brings me to my final point if we recognize the authority of his word and the authority of his name we must also recognize the authority of his rule listen to what this demon says Ha! What have you to do with us? What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know that you are the Holy One of God. What have you to do with us? It's a question, but really, if you look at the Greek, it would literally be what between you and me? It's a confrontation, if you will. But he doesn't say, what have you to do with me? He says, what have you to do with us? Now that's somewhat strange. We know in other stories when Jesus is dealing with demons, there are some people who are possessed by multiple demons. Such as Legion, if you remember. My name is Legion, for we are many. But it's clear that this is a singular demon. So why is he saying, what do you have you to do with us? He's talking about himself and the man he possesses this one is mine Jesus what between you and me and my prey he's mine he belongs to me he's a sinner remember ha have you come to destroy us it's a strange statement what's he saying he's saying look if you're gonna take me out You're going to take him out. Why? Because he belongs to me. He is my prey. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You see, we see the task of Jesus Christ revealed, don't we, right here. He has come to destroy the works of the wicked one. The ruler comes to take control of his planet, planet Earth. And so the demon says if you take me you take him. But Jesus is far more powerful than this little demon. Be quiet. Come out of him. And this demon comes out leaving him unharmed. You know the truth of the matter is the demon is right. This is my prey. Satan is the accuser isn't he? What Jesus is saying is, be quiet, you demon. I will take you from this man and I will take you to myself. And I will take you down with me and I will drown you in the sea of my righteousness. Why take the man when you can have God himself? And that's exactly what the cross was. A liberation of an imprisoned humanity. What have you to do with us? I have nothing to do with you but I will have everything to do with you in order that I will have my way because I am ruler and King why would he do this for this man this sinner this one individual why would he do it for you and me it has to be love and so this man imprisoned in his heart In darkness is freed by the power and the rule of his authority. Whose authority do you recognize in your life? There are many people that assert authority over you. If you are a Christian you cannot be possessed by the devil but you can certainly be oppressed. You can listen to his voice and believe it. If you are not a Christian, guess what? You have a ruler who is over you. You have a ruler who wants to keep you, who has a claim on your life. And the gospel that I am speaking to you is the very word of God that is designed to set you free. So do you want to be free? What have you to do with us? Jesus says, I have nothing to do with you demon. I have everything to do with this man. Leave him. He has the ability to take captured things and make them free. He has the ability to take things that are in darkness and bring them to light. Because he is the authority above all other authorities. And so the crowd is astonished. The demon is thrown away. And the man is free. And that leaves us with us. We must recognize the authority of his word. We must recognize the authority of his name. And then we will recognize the authority of his rule. There are so many things that you and I are imprisoned by. So many authorities that we bow down to. That have no business having authority over us if you submit your life to the authority of Jesus Christ, you can look anything in the face, any situation, any devil, any opposition, and not fear. For your God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who has set you free and will never let you go. Praise God for his gospel. Live in his freedom. Let's pray. Lord, you speak and the world reverberates, either in sheer terror or anger or sheer joy. Lord, you have spoken today through your word. Let it reverberate with our souls. Let us rejoice in the authority of your word, obeying it as if it's the very fabric of our existence. Let us rejoice in your name the name that calls to us, the name above all names, the name that was meant to be on our tongue and in our heart. And Lord, let us rejoice in the authority of your rule, bowing our knee to you. For you are the King of kings and Lord of lords and we need fear no one because you are the King of the universe. We pray all of these things in the glorious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.